love when you get something, you know, I, I, did, a, I did a tweet about Rupert Murdoch that I got retweeted. Well, it started going viral in the Middle East, so it ended up like 28,000 retweets or something. And nothing is obviously, I'm never going to get that tweet again. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, there's a combination of words. words that I can, and it's like, you know, and why? Why does I care? You know, my books didn't do any better because of that tweet. But it just becomes, I don't know, it, 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 it's a kind of weird, brutal sport of the, the numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And competitive, and writers are all, uh, well, not all, but a lot of writers, the nature of, oh, I think, I think the nature of the work. Um, can make you neurotic which can therefore lead you to be competitive or imagining the grass is greener and imagining other writers are doing so much better than you but the more I learn the more writers I know and the more writers I meet I realise we all have whatever level you are you have the same however many books you sell if you've won certain prizes it just becomes a new neurosis you've always you're always looking at the people above you not so can you stop I mean can you stop that the other thing I've got sort of vaguely in my bathroom at the moment is what well, in the toilets actually is the the uh, biography of David Foster Wallace and I find Wallace interesting for that the way that those neuroses can sort of and why he's brilliant at writing about them but they start to spin and how do you stop them spinning is that something that is worrying can you stop those neuroses it helps when there's no wifi there's no wifi there's no internet I get relieved actually like, like, like we're in, this year we spend a lot of time in Cornwall and just when you're in really areas with patchy coverage I find myself calming down because I, I can't tweet as much I can't look at what people are saying so I, I, I think it's about balance I think um, I think it's a great thing it's obviously Twitter isn't wrong in itself it's just how we use it um, and you know I, I think I've probably invested too much personally I mean I think that's why people might want to follow me perhaps because I'm just sort of being myself but I think it's sensible psychologically for there to be some kind of shield where you're not, not totally yourself to a load of strangers who so the the, the, the sort of depression in a way that was that an example of the way that that shield slightly can in a good yes. way but also in a way that must put pressure on you yeah yeah well I feel like um, depression and anxiety because I have the two together it, it weird it, I, can't, I think I'm slightly missing a piece of my brain that other people have that, that sort of um, because because depression was so hard because every day was sort of like you know mentally it, it was so intense you know the only things I could relate to were sort of like reading like first world war poetry and, and it's like there was no war I'd be just going to the shop going to Longus and so you'd be feeling guilty I'm not Wilfred Owen I'm just a, a, some plonker going to the shop and um, yeah but but the intensity in your head would feel almost as if you're in a, a war that's invisible and because you were doing that day in day out the normal things once you've survived that the normal things you used to be worried about you know when you you know oh I might say the wrong thing this might be bad so you know uh, but, but then it does get a bit dangerous because then you do get neurotic about it with hindsight but in the moment you're sort of like well you're liberated yeah yeah it's kind of liberated you know it's like what's the worst that can happen <laughs> Um, but the, the, my, my main thing with it is just the amount of time you spend on it and how much of that okay. time takes you away from writing. And no, n- writing, 
writing fiction and writing long form is always it's always more pleasurable and, and writing not for all that immediate hit writing to just explore something you're always going to say something wiser or better or more entertaining when you've got the time to think about it um, rather than just sort of fire off some opinionated look at me have you had the Brett East Ellis moment where it was some very funny clearly middle of the night tweets where he's kind of taken something drunk something whatever, and he's just you just see them and then you look back you, you know my missus is a huge fan and I said you've got to see these and I didn't copy them and they've gone and he's obviously just uh, ok what bitch you on yeah. Yeah, yeah there was the various sort of oh yeah I mean, yeah I mean even Brett Easton Ellis sober and straight yeah. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> but um, yeah I mean my only rule uh, uh, there's been tweets where I've mentioned Rupert Murdoch tweets where I've mentioned Donald Trump tweets where I've mentioned Nigel Farage but beyond that I like to think I'm not personal you know unless they sort of cult- represent a whole idea and concept of culture as those sort of people do I, I don't I've never slagged off another author on there I've never got into that very personal thing people have slagged me off but I, I've never tried I've tried never to get personal back so that's my main do you respond role. if someone says something uh, yeah I have done before but um, it, I don't respond slagging them off I respond okay. Questioning what they've said, but that's just a neurotic thing that, with hindsight, you shouldn't do. So you should just let, let it. Yeah, because obviously conversations are going on about you occasionally in the outside world that you don't ever know about. But on, on Twitter, yeah, you, yeah. I, 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 and then you've instantly joined in a conversation and they're saying, "He searched his own name and he's joined in this conversation." <laughs> Is there? A, it, just I stopped talking about Twitter just because it's a bit archaic, but. Do you have that sort of rush of? Is it a rush of? Is it quite an emotional moment if you see something that's? Do you, do you just and it's gone before I'm you? I'm getting better, but yeah, it, <laughs> it has been. It has been, yeah. Well, there was a, a writer, and I won't name him here, but there was a writer who I'd actually given. I'd liked one of his books. I'd said I'd publicly liked one of his books, given him a quote for one of his books, and then you see them having a sort of jokey bitch about you and then that stuff when you think hold on I thought we were you know it's a little bit but then I think I think think it is just what happens with the internet where we forget we're talking about people and we forget that you know around the table across the table people are always more human but there's something dehumanising about that and I think that is a broader worry generally not just about writers' egos but just a, a broader thing of what will happen to society where we, we lose a bit of everything and also yeah. and I went to see this electronic artist um, Holly Herndon who does who's trying to put sort of humanity into electronic music in quite, in quite strange ways but and it's interesting watching her because all the videos were of Slightly fetishized pictures of her laptops. She's very brilliant. There was a guy kind of live broadcasting and essaying, you know, fuck Theresa May and all this. But I, I think there was a tension that we all hate it, but we're also investing so much in, in this. It was, it was strange to me, and I, because I'm, I'm not digitally needed, you know, um, it's, a, it's slightly strange to watch it. and 
unravel. And we should talk about Father Christmas. Really. Yes. Well, also, one last thing, oh, yeah. linking to children. And children. I always think in 25 years, you know, because everything's going to be tracked, even if we've deleted our Twitter accounts, they'll have some technology there. They can just, yeah. some archaeological technology where they'll be able to record, uh, find everything. And like, you know, the year my baby was born, if I was spending too much time on Twitter, I'd go back and say, what were you doing, Dad? <laughs> Jeez, that'll be the new bad parenting won't yeah. it you know it won't be my dad was an alcoholic my dad just spent all day on well the new smoking is it Jonathan Franson that said we've replaced cigarettes with with uh, with, the, with kind of phones so you get off yeah. the plane instead of running to have a cigarette you know you're checking your messages and it's bad for your posture I, was, uh, I, I think well being on a computer is bad I've been bad we're changing our necks yeah, yeah yeah we're going to get you know the essence of, essence of man is going to start going <laughs> we're going to go back <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jonathan Bates has written the Ted Hughes biography um, and he also wrote the biography of John Clare as well and at one point I did just ask him about his interest obviously in, in uh, poets and, and mentalists and I asked him sort of an impossible question if Plath um, had been treated sort of with, with Medicare and if Clare had would would she have because so much of that those great poems are in that final sort of few months and, and even the last final couple of weeks um, do you see a, is that, is, do you see your own creativity as being well yeah I mean just on the basic thing that I wouldn't have had the sort of creative ambition to write or determination to write without having the depression anxiety the agoraphobia that I talked about because just for practical things I needed to do work from home so that was the first thing I couldn't go out the idea of going out and have an office job that was that was totally terrifying um, I, I, I think um, curiosity is a key part of creativity and being curious and a curiosity is very much linked to fear and I notice that having children children ask questions about what they're scared of uh, you, know, you know worries that come in the dark you know my daughter getting to sleep it's just a, a, a series of questions basically she asks but we then have to give a comforting answer and then eventually she goes to sleep so I, I think um, with me I think the anxiety more than the depression has been uh, uh, has sharpened me and sort of made me more alert to things. Mental illness does not make you more intelligent. It obviously doesn't give you a large vocabulary. It doesn't uh, make you think of narrative um, in any sort of cleverer way. But I, I just I loved books and reading more than I ever did. And speaking as someone who'd done an MA in English, I'd always been relatively bookish. But the, the sudden idea of books as a necessity rather than a luxury came after illness and I got the point of it and, and certainly fiction because um, the main thing with my depression is I felt stuck I felt totally stuck and if you think about what a story is and what a story has to have to be a story it needs change something has to change the character has to change the situation has to change something has to happen and um, I, I, so, so, so reading books again and generally it was rereading books that I'd read as a teenager initially because I was back in my sort of childhood bedroom not always kids books but books I'd read when I was younger um, that became a kind of new 
religion for me, and it was very much part of my therapy, um, self-therapy, um, was reading, reading and writing. Just, um, well, the first thing, because it was quite hard to concentrate, reading was quite hard and stuff, first thing was just like a book of quotations. I just sort of, re- you know, this was years before Twitter, but I was essentially reading little bite-sized um, quotes, and um, occasionally that would go wrong because I'd fall on a Sylvia Plath quote something, you know, is there any way out of the mind? <laughs> and then that would taunt me for ages. I, I was petrified of reading Hemingway, Clark, Virginia Woolf, anyone who I knew had taken their own life. I, I thought, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. Even if they'd written it 30 years before they'd taken their own life, I, I, I thought I was going to enter their thought stream and that, you know, I needed to, which was a, a silly and crude But it could thing, almost but, be contagious. There was something Yeah, silly, yeah, was, well, yeah, so I was scared of it. And, um, you know, whereas someone like Mark Twain, who had probably effectively had depression, but he died of a heart attack and had a healthy, yeah. in many ways, happy life, that was fine. Um, I read a book called The Outsiders by S.C. Hinson, yeah. which was a sort of book I'd read as a teenager, one of the first books I'd read that had felt like, you know, entertainment rather than something that would do me good. Um, uh, I've read um, Box by Nicholson Baker. Oh, yeah. Which is dirty, but it's... It is desperate. But actually, yeah, probably wrong in the context of talking about a children's book but uh, actually, <laughs> when, when, when you're thinking about mental health things uh, and when, you, when you're in that moment you cling on to any thought that isn't health and, and you know so whether that is uh, a place like thinking about Rome or whether it's thinking about sex or whether it's thinking about it, it's all if it's a distraction five seconds from that you, you'll take that you'll take You'll take the you'll take the book, and I, and it's just very easy to read because it's dialogue. Um, Emily Dickinson poems, First World War poetry, um, poems a lot. I, I found poems because because they were short, and also because they're intense. You sort of match the intensity of depression better often than prose. It's just that burst, you know. Poems are, I, I, I like certainly there are more mad poets than there are mad novelists, probably. And I, I just think poems are a little bit closer to mental illness as a form, you know. So that kind of condensed, yeah, pra- pra- the intensity of them, yeah. and they often sort of, they are very often sort of deconstructing and decomposing language yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, actually Bate is doing this book with his wife and I think with, with a doctor in Oxford and uh, a couple of academics I think called Stressed Unstressed and I think it's connecting mindfulness to poetry and I sort of I was a bit I thought it was good in lots of ways but there was a trouble I had which is I quite I think I read poems as you were saying to make me feel actually the opposite of whatever mindfulness I, I don't quite understand mindfulness but yeah it is contradictory, man. I think it. I, because uh, what, what, on the one level, it's about being more aware of stuff, and on the other level, it's about not being aware of stuff at all. Yes. On one level, it's all about everything out there, but on another level, it's totally about you. Yeah. So, it's yeah. Strange. It's uh, like it, I can't quite. And maybe it's a Zen circle or something, but. Mm. I don't know if poetry would help. And I think it's that awful thing which I have, and that's the sort of compulsive wheel which is. I must be in the moment, I must be in the moment, I must be, what am I in the moment? Am I in the moment now? 
you know, normally that's when we take a photograph and post it on Facebook. So look at me being in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week, I'm definitely. I'm be definitely. I'm going to work harder <laughs> to be in the moment. Do you want any more? Do you want? Uh, I'll go all right. Yeah. You, you go for it if you want. No, I'm no. I'm first. Yeah. I will get you. Oh, just some more hot water. I'm asking for some. Well, we will talk about Christmas. No, it's time. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is my sort of. It, it, it's all. It's Christmas. all. Mixed. Yeah. Um.